back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton, and we're going to talk about a topic today that I think many people are interested in just because of the awareness and the increase in psychosis. The word psychosis is used to describe conditions that affect the mind where there's been some loss of contact with reality, but the variations on psychosis, the different way it presents, and some of the signs and symptoms leading up to it are the things we're going to cover with Dr. Jim Polo. Hello, Dr. Polo. Hi, Sheila. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. It was quite shocking to me when I learned that there is more variation on psychosis than just the people we see who are unhoused, yelling at the voices in their head. Um, One of my friends who went through a particularly difficult postpartum actually experienced psychosis in those weeks and months after she had her child, and she was previously healthy. So it it made me realize, oh, psychosis must be much more common than I'm aware. Is it? You know, it's a great question. It kind of depends on how you describe common, but I think it is much more prevalent than the average individual does realize. It's still not something that's common, you know, with all people. The thing that's also important to recognize is psychosis. While it can be a diagnosis, in other words, you can have a brief psychotic episode, and, and there's all kinds of reasons why that can occur. But psychosis is also a symptom of many other disorders. And so it's, it's more complex than just simple psychosis, so to speak. So Dr. Polo, when someone, in, and I would imagine usually it's a loved one who calls you and says, my son, my daughter, my husband, my blah, blah, is going through this. Do you then go through the process to attempt to understand what the underlying cause is? Or do you treat the psychosis from the outset? So the first step is, first of all, trying to determine if there's an underlying cause. If there is an underlying cause, then removing that cause is usually going to lead to a much quicker resolution. And also it gives you a sense of what can I expect long-term wise? Mm. I'll give you a very simple example. There are some autoimmune disorders that can cause psychosis. And so if somebody happens to have an autoimmune disorder and you know that and they're having an episode then focusing on treating the autoimmune disorder is probably going to lead to a resolution quicker than trying to treat the psychosis as if you don't really know what's, what's causing it. I don't want to go too deep on this, but why does an autoimmune disorder cause psychosis? Well, it's very interesting. You should ask, remember that psychosis is mediated in the brain. You know, psychosis is basically loss of touch with reality, um, losing contact or the, inability to distinguish. Um, We have a lot of research that basically shows that the primary neurotransmitter that seems to be related is indeed dopamine. But there are so many things that are mediated in the brain that unfortunately you can sometimes have underlying causes that are causing that distortion of thought. Mm. And it's not necessarily a quote, mental health disorder. Wow. When you begin to to look at okay, so 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 say that this person is otherwise functioning in their life, they have a a healthy relationship, a healthy job, but you still have to treat the almost mental health outcomes of having had psychosis, correct? Because I can imagine what happens in the way that other people react to you. The behavioral part of it is so jarring and so frightening that it's almost as if you have to treat it as a mental health disorder. Well, uh, for example, I'll I'll use the example that you gave of your friend. If somebody has uh, postpartum depression and they end up having significant enough symptoms that include psychosis, 
then if you treat the underlying depression and the psychosis resolves, then there's usually no leftover impact, so to speak. Mm. Now, the individual may have kind of memories of that period of time that were not pleasant. Certainly, they might have some mood symptoms that persist. But if you treat the underlying postpartum depression, in general, those folks are going to do very well versus individuals where a primary component of the actual disorder is psychosis, where number one, you're at low likelihood of having total resolution and it impacts future functionality. And the most common diagnosis that we think of is schizophrenia. You also have it with bipolar disorder though, correct? Yes, folks with bipolar disorder can also have episodes of psychosis. About 15% of people that have bipolar disorder at some point experience uh, an episode of psychosis. I was so um, fascinated that my husband's psychotic episode, they actually resulted in nasal psychosis. Have you heard of that? Or smelling um, psychosis so that it wasn't just seeing things or hearing things. It was actually smelling things that weren't there. Yeah, what you're referring to is, is the concept that when folks have um, what we call a hallucination, that means they have the perception of something that usually involves one of the senses of which there is no real external stimuli. Mm. So it can be seeing lights, seeing colors, hearing sounds. It can be tasting something. It can be smelling something. But the external stimuli doesn't actually exist. It's simply perceived in, in, in the brain in that manner. More complex hallucinations, as an example, are auditory hallucinations where you actually hear voices. Hmm. Or we sometimes talk about folks that are having significant difficulties with delirium where they will actually feel tactile sensations. So that's also kind of a, a form of being out of touch with reality. So Dr. Polo, it would seem to me that once you had sort of broken this veil in your own brain, that the inner turmoil and fear of what was happening would be so overwhelming for the person who was involved. How do you reassure people that you can actually help them get back to a center where they know what's actually going on is, is in reality? Let me tell you, the way I've approached that is I separate, first of all, folks with psychotic episodes in two very broad categories. So I'll give you an example. Many, many years ago, I had an inpatient uh, that I was treating actually on an internal medicine unit who had a psychotic episode related to steroids. We know that sometimes folks will have a psychotic episode as a result of steroids. You remove the steroids and the psychosis goes away. So where I have a very clear idea of what caused the psychosis, I find that what helps folks the most is simply having an understanding of what occurred and reassurance it's not coming back. You don't have a mental disorder. You're not going to become disorganized. Uh, You had something that was caused and we know what the cause was and we've taken away the cause. Versus somebody that has a psychotic episode that now falls into the domain of what I would say is a mental health disorder. And for these folks, the reason why this becomes so significant is because we often talk about that first episode of psychosis. And if you can really kind of identify and treat folks really in a very proactive, almost aggressive manner up front, number one, you have a lower likelihood that they're going to have recurrence of psychosis. Or if they do, you're going to have hopefully 
episode that is not as severe or not as significant because recurrent psychosis actually does generally lead to a worse outcome. So, so for example, when we have individuals that are diagnosed with schizophrenia, we try to get them onto a medication. And we can, we can talk about that separately, but we try to get them on a medication that's going to help kind of bring them in touch with reality. Mm. The quicker you do that, the greater likelihood that you're going to keep them stable. But with each psychotic episode, their level of functioning usually drops and it doesn't oh, go back to, to baseline. Wow. So there really is a need to treat aggressively upfront uh, versus somebody with bipolar, as an example. They'll have an episode of psychosis. You can treat and kind of clear them up and they will return to their baseline, but not so with schizophrenia and you know, I uh, was recently introduced to an organization in the Portland area that um, provides an almost kind of SWAT team approach to early intervention in psychosis in that they support the family. They have really good um, psychological care, but social work support so that the people can actually have some of the uh, external stressors removed. Why is it so important to have this kind of approach uh, Dr. Polo, when young people are beginning to show signs of psychosis for those same reasons that you want to really limit the number of times the brain does this? Yeah, you want to really quickly evaluate and figure out where you suspect this is coming from because there are discrete causes which we can treat, um, but there are also softer causes, so to speak, where we're not exactly sure what's causing it. There mm -hmm. are some genetic components that some of these disorders appear to be associated with. And there are also environmental factors that we go looking for that may be clues to why somebody is having a, a psychotic disorder. In adolescence, typically drug use is a factor that has to be looked at very carefully. There, there's no question that certain illicit substances do indeed cause psychotic episodes. And unfortunately, you sometimes have a history of somebody that was using drugs that cause a psychotic episode and then Later on, even without those drugs, they continue to experience psychotic symptoms. And, the, and the, the question becomes, well, did the drug somehow precipitate something that was going to happen? Did the drug somehow precipitate kind of a vulnerability? You know, would this have been different had the patient not used drugs? And, and vice versa, sometimes there are people that have psychotic symptoms that clearly fall into one of these diagnoses uh, that we worry about, uh, like schizophrenia. And then they get predisposed to turning or using to drugs because they have poor judgment or they don't understand really, you know, why they're, they're using drugs. Yeah. It's a very complicated issue to look at. You know, I'd heard from um, some of the intake nurses at Unity that they, they're seeing so many more cases of teenagers presenting with early onset psychosis because of the high THC content in the marijuana and the belief that it's kind of like a benign drug and um, kids use it and go into a, a psychosis, otherwise kind of normal functioning partying teenagers. Are, yes. you, are you worried that there hasn't quite been enough public information about the potential of this and, and just how devastating it is to a developing brain? So first of all, this is a this is a very important point that I give you a couple examples in terms of personal experience. I used to live in Colorado and practice in Colorado. In fact, I was in Colorado when marijuana was legalized. It was the first state that went in that direction. And we had a very distinctive increase of folks that were getting admitted to the hospital 
with psychosis from the ER. And very often we would find out, you know, they had just gotten to Colorado. They'd only been living there. They're, they're, they're using marijuana. There is no question that THC, particularly in the refined, and I'm using that word loosely, the refined marijuana that you see today is very different than the marijuana that you saw from the 70s or 80s. The content is much, much higher. And there's just no question that it's predisposed as opposed to have, having psychosis. Very often, that kind of psychotic episode will resolve when you remove the offending agent, you remove the drugs, people kind of return. Mm. The challenge is that we also know that drugs sometimes change brain chemistry for good. We, we know that folks that chronically use marijuana do end up affecting their brain. So the risk is that you would affect your brain in such a way that you would be more um, susceptible to losing touch with reality and becoming psychotic. Now, mm. I have to be honest and tell you, I haven't actually seen too many patients where I would say, oh yeah, they have resultant psycho psychosis and it's mm. solely because of marijuana. But I can yeah. tell you, I've seen hundreds of adolescents that have had psychotic episodes as a result of using marijuana. Wow. So it's a, it's a very slippery slope. I think the other thing that would be important for listeners to, to think about is that You'll hear a lot in the media about what's referred to as medical marijuana. You hear a lot of kind of stories about the positives and the negatives, so to speak. And, and I think the, 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 the part that's important to recognize is the cannabinoid component is very different than the THC component. So in a general sense, the cannabinoids are the ones that are traditionally associated with potentially giving you some good outcome versus right. the THC component, which does not. And I personally don't support use of marijuana at all. I just have never seen the value. So is there a, the potential, I don't know much about how, uh, how the marijuana industry works, but is there the potential of ordering just the marijuana with high cannabinoids, but low THC? Well, you can get, for example, CBD oil. Yeah, um, is is sold and um, it's used and or I should say recommended to be used in a variety of different ways. And it's arguable that that that's not going to be harmful at all, depending on how it's used and what yeah. it's used for and, and so forth. It's also questionable whether it's actually really helpful, though. I do problem. know it's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and because it's not really regulated real well, sometimes you don't know what's in those products because yeah. FDA regulated. Um, it's an area that still, unfortunately, creates a challenge, mainly for young kids that don't have the sophistication to be reading the research and knowing the difference between one or the other, and they don't even know the difference between cannabinoids or THC. Let's move from um, very young people to very old people. If you're beginning to see a parent or a grandmother or any loved one who is moving into that sort of stage where forgetfulness and dementia can occur... I've often wondered, how do you determine how much of this psychosis is being caused by medicine and how much of it is being caused by the brain starting to go off kilter? Yeah. And is psychosis part of the march toward Alzheimer's? That's a very complex issue, um, more complex than I think um, we fully understand. I'll use a personal example. Uh, my mother is still living. She's 84. And uh, she's 
college educated, never used drugs in her whole life, and really pretty much been physically healthy with the exception of having breast cancer many years ago for which she was, quote, cured. Mm -hmm. Well, in her early 80s, uh, my mother clearly started having some difficulties with memory. Hmm. At first, it was subtle, forgetting things. Uh, then it was getting lost. Then it was kind of forgetting who people were. My mother then had a clear psychotic episode where she thought people were trying to break into her house. She thought she saw little miniature people outside her windows. Uh, that was two years ago. Today, my, my mother lives in a assisted living care facility and she is significantly demented. She had very rapid dementia and she went through periods of just clear a loss of touch with reality. She thought people were trying to steal from her. She was hiding things in her home. She thought they were out to get her. She thought she was hearing things. She thought she was seeing things. And in the course of treating her, the physician actually used some medications to help take away some of those symptoms. Mm. And it helped somewhat, but not 100%. Yeah. And there came a point where my mother's dementia continued to progress. Her, her memory difficulty got much worse and all of the psychotic symptoms went away and they were gone. Wow. Um, and she no longer needed the antipsychotic medication. But keep in mind, my mother also doesn't usually remember who I am either. It doesn't who her grandkids are. So dementia is one of those diagnoses where it's clearly associated with deterioration of the brain and brain function. We mm. typically think of dementia as only being a memory thing, but it's actually reasoning. It's actually cognitive. And in fact, it's not uncommon for folks with dementia to actually have subtle psychotic type symptoms. Wow. I always love talking with you um, about both the behavioral things that you can do to help people who are suffering in this way and also the pharmaceutical things that you might try to be able to help people who are suffering in this way. Which would you prefer to talk about first? Well, why don't we talk about the uh, pharmacy part since, okay. uh, you know, I think a lot of people think about, you know, medications and there's lots of controversy one way or the other. So say, for instance, let's let's just talk about are the drugs that you would be giving your mother the same as they would be for the teenage boy who just had too much THC in his system for the first time? Okay, the, uh, I guess the best way to answer that is yes, that's possible. Okay. Wow. So, so let me explain a little bit about medications first. We have developed a lot of medications that have been around for quite some time that help to essentially organize thinking. These medications, uh, of which there are, are a whole variety of them, all have different pluses and minuses to them. They all have uh, certain circumstances under which they tend to do a better job, and they all have potential side effects. So you will sometimes find that a medication that you're using in one type of patient is going to be the same that's used in a different. So I'll give you an example. I'm a child psychiatrist. I've occasionally had children that have had significant mood instability and part of treating them has included a, a medicine called risperidone. Risperidone is, is risperdal. It is a neuroleptic. It's an antipsychotic. It can be used in folks that have schizophrenia. Obviously, when I'm using it for a child, in the circumstance that I described, it's not for schizophrenia. Because remember, yeah. meds don't treat diagnoses. They treat 
symptoms. Right. Now, the reason why I used that as an example, risperidone was the very same medication that was used by my mother's doctor to help soften some of her anxiety and some wow. of her psychotic symptoms. And it seemed to help a little bit. So the, the medicines that we have developed are not specific necessarily to a particular age category, and they're not even specific to a particular type of psychosis. They work well when they work in that individual, and we have a whole variety to choose from. And Dr. Polo, do we know what risperidol and others are doing in the brain? Is it tamping down that part of the brain that's become overactive and over-visual and over-auditory? Great, great question. So we know that brain function is modulated by neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are basically those little substance particles that help an electrical impulse travel from one neuron to another. Right. And those neurotransmitters are part of what's in, um uh, utilized between those two nerves so that something can move through. Keep in mind that nerves in the brain modulate everything from motor movement to hearing to seeing to emotions. Mm. And so certain neurotransmitters appear to be more correlated to certain symptoms that we sometimes see, of which dopamine is the one that tends to be the one that we see highly correlated with folks that have psychotic type symptoms. And so wow. many of the medicines that are developed basically work at that cellular level where it impacts neurotransmitter activity. Right. You just gave me so many more questions. All right. So you just <laughs> said that, it, that we now know that people who are more prone to these kind of psychoses have disruptions in their dopamine levels. But I mean, look at how many Americans right now are on antidepressants, which is supposed to also be around a dopamine, you know, it, I guess it's an, a significant underutilization of dopamine or in the case of anxiety, overutilization. So does that mean these people are also at risk of going into psychosis because they have dopamine problems? Not necessarily. And, and although I've highlighted dopamine, keep in mind that there are many, many transmitter types and they don't necessarily all exclusively work in one area. So for example, do dopamine is, is te technically, it's, it's considered the pleasure neurotransmitter. Right. So it is, it is to some degree also a factor when it comes to mood. Serotonin is another neurotransmitter that is more affiliated with mood. So you can have an individual, for example, having some depressive type symptoms where medications that are utilized can sometimes have more of an impact on the dopamine in one case versus another medication that might have more impact on the serotonin neurotransmitters. But we have endorphins, we have glutamate, acetylcholine, GABA, noradren uh, noradrenaline, adrenaline. Yeah. All of these neurotransmitter systems are highly complex. And I think it's safe to say that we probably don't really understand the complexity of either one of them or the complexity of how they work in tandem, how yeah. they work together. That's so safe. All right, let's move on to some of the external things that um, especially loved ones, a, a person's doctor can do in helping someone recover from a period of psychosis. Is cognitive behavioral therapy helpful there? Um, when it comes to psychosis, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy 
may be helpful depending on the actual underlying cause. If you have somebody that, for example, is um, diagnosed with schizophrenia, then it's questionable whether true CBT is going to have much of an impact. You have to be able to to engage and understand the therapeutic yeah. modality that's being used. But but you're raising a point that's very very important. When I've had patients that have a what I call a primary psychotic disorder, schizophrenia, there's no question that I'm going to try to stabilize them using medications that make sense that hopefully impact and improve the symptoms that they're having. And keeping in mind that schizophrenia does cause psychosis, but there are other symptoms associated with schizophrenia as well, not necessarily the psychotic uh, symptoms. But in addition to that, therapy does help. The approach that you take has to be one that the individual with whom you are providing therapy can actually understand. So Mm -hmm. somebody that is acutely psychotic usually is not somebody in which you're going to get very far in therapy. Right. But if you've been able to, to essentially help them with medication in such a way that there's some semblance of recovery, then you can engage them. Education and reassurance is important. Getting them to understand what's happening to them so that they mm. can kind of think about how to handle it when it happens is part of the treatment. Very often folks that do have psychosis, part of their treatment is also really thinking about providing them a lot of structure, which Mm. can really enhance their sense of security and a lot of social support. Traditionally, you, you want to have folks engaged that can actually appropriately relate to them in a way that that emotion is not, not harmful, that it's positive for them. So we're almost out of time, but I'd I'd be so remiss if I didn't talk about this. I have talked with so many friends whose kids had their first um, psychosis when they were in college and weren't weren't sleeping. Is the mechanism of sleep as a protective factor for psychosis really understood? Wow. Um, Here's what I can tell you. There's no question that sleep deprivation and exhaustion can cause psychosis. In fact- In wartime, one of the easiest ways that you can destabilize a prisoner is you just keep them awake and they will all become psychotic. I absolutely guarantee you. So there's no question that lack of sleep has an impact on how the brain functions. There's a rejuvenating, resting component to when we sleep, even though Mm -hmm. our brain is functioning the entire time we're sleeping, but still allows the brain to kind of reset itself. Keep in mind that the... um, Diagnosis of schizophrenia, which is the one that we most often associate with psychosis, it usually presents most often between the ages of about 15 and 24. And it's not uncommon for, you know, a young individual that goes off to college and they, they don't do well, start to become withdrawn and they have their quote, first episode of true psychosis and, and they leave college. That actually happens. Yeah. There are also some kids, unfortunately, that are using you know, substances or some kids that are staying up all night. Uh, but there is no question that getting adequate sleep will help you function. Now, I don't think that getting adequate sleep is necessarily by itself a protective factor that would prevent you from getting psychosis if you already have an underlying genetic. Huh. Is there an underlying genetic vulnerability for psychosis apart from uh, an associated mental health problem? It sounds like some people could just get psychosis and have that genetic vulnerability for it without it being related to any of the other things we've talked about. 
There is no question that there appears to be a genetic component. When you, when you actually do the epidemiologic studies to look at folks with some of these disorders, there's no question that, you know, there's a vulnerability. Have we actually identified where it is in the genes? Mm. We have not yet. Dr. Polo, I could talk to you about these topics all day long, but we try to keep our program at half an hour. So if you want more information, we've got some really fascinating links on our website to teach all of us more about psychosis. Thank you again, Dr. Polo. Always a pleasure to speak with you. My pleasure.